Father, we're grateful uh, that you're a God um, who is over all things that we learned about last week, that you're sovereign over all things, um, that your purposes and your promises will, will last, that we can trust in who you are and what you've done and what you're going to do. So we thank you for the sure hope that we have in Christ, the demonstration of the proof of who you are and your love for us and your willingness to lay your son down for us, sinners in need of a savior. So we're grateful. We come singing. We come as people who want to learn and grow from your word this morning. So by your spirit, would you enable your word um, to pierce our hearts this morning? And Lord, we also pray for folks who are not feeling well, um, who are sick at home with kids even. Um, we pray that, that you would be their comfort, you would heal their bodies. And we pray for gospel witness. We pray for a gospel witness in a world um, it has gone so, so far from you. And we pray for our own hearts. And we live and breathe in a world and we can't be unaffected. And so, Lord, do your work through your spirit and your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. I grew up with this old hymn and it went like this. Count your many blessings. Name them one by one. Count your many blessings. I'm not going to sing. I can't sing, y'all. Count your many blessings. See what God has done. We sang that almost every week as a kid. And I remember as I got older and pursued my own path, I would come back to that song, and I often still come back to that song. It's just ingrained every Sunday morning, Wednesday night. It's just ingrained in my brain. And it does good things. I mean, the, the Bible says, as we learned this morning, to recount the goodness of God, to, to recount what he's done for us. It's a good exercise. Have you ever done the exercise where you're maybe struggling and you're having a hard time seeing the bigger picture? You know, you know what? I need to stop and remember the goodness of God and the mercies of God in my life and the, what I ought to be grateful for. All the great gifts and benefits God has given me in spite of me, in a sense to recall the mercies of God. Can I tell you this morning the truth that we're going to learn is this right here. We need to meditate on God's mercies because they motivate a life of surrender to God. We need to meditate on God's mercies to us because they motivate a life of surrender to God. The question is, are you all in? As a Christian, are you all in? Are the areas of life where the world's got a hold of you? And maybe you even feel powerless to overcome it. Turn with me to Romans chapter 12. And we'll be in verses 1 and 2. I know, last week we took a whole chapter, 36 verses. Today we've got two verses. Romans 12, 1 and 2. This is an important hinge verse between the first the first 11 chapters of Romans, which are, if you're in the English class, are kind of what we would call indicatives. This is who God is, and this is what God has done. And so in view of those indicatives, what are the imperatives? How are we going to live our lives? I know I'm boring some of you back in English class. But if something is true about God, what does it call us to do in our lives? And that's really what chapters 12 through 16 in Romans 
are very much about because good doctrine should produce change in our lives. People say it this way, orthodoxy produces orthopraxy. That the mercies of God and what God has done should motivate us and change us in a way that our lives are surrendered, that God would change us through his mercies. It's a hinge verse, and so we're just gonna take these two verses and then we'll roll further into chapter 12 next week. The question is, how do we live in light of God's mercies? And Paul's gonna draw really a line in the sand and really lovingly call this church back in Rome and us as a people. Call us back to answer this call as well. So let me read it, Romans 12, one and two, page 947 if you need a Bible next to you. Romans 12. I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what the will of God is, what is good and acceptable and perfect. See, these are umbrella verses for us as we move into this next more applicational section of the book of Romans. Look at specifically at verse one, and I'm just gonna parse this, these verses out, and we're just gonna walk through these together. When he says, when Paul says, I appeal to you, another word there would be, I urge you, it's an interesting word. I wanted to share it with you because you, you might not suspect it. I urge you, therefore, the, the idea of urge is the same word, or same word family we get for the Holy Spirit, the paraclete. Remember back in chapter 8, remember what Jesus said about the Holy Spirit coming and being a an helper for you, that he's the paraclete, he's the counselor, he's the coach, he's the encourager. And so what Paul is doing, whatever he's about to say, is going, I'm urging you, I want to be your coach, I want to be your helper. He's urging them, he's getting them to pay attention to what he's about to say. I urge you, I appeal to you, do this, therefore. And that therefore doesn't just point back to what he just said in chapter 11. Most scholars would say, no, the therefore here is a break in this hinge, and it really points back to the whole. It points back to Romans 1 through 11. Based on all that Paul has said, he's urging them to do something. Brothers, so he's speaking to believers, by the mercies of God, so the motivation to whatever he's about to ask comes from re reviewing and recounting and recalling the mercies of God. I just want you to think for just a minute, we've been in Romans for a while, but I want you to think about all the mercies and the graces of God that we've seen in the book of Romans. And just think about recounting those, his love, his grace, his power, his kindness, his forgiveness, is that enough? No, his payment for our sin, his freedom that he offers us, his bringing us back into relationship with him, reconciliation, him justifying us before God, our justification, declaring us right in spite of who we are. It's his grace and his mercy. His, the resurrection that we have because of Christ one day, eternal life, sonship, conformity, Holy Spirit, peace, hope, can we keep going? I appeal to you by the mercies of God, all of the things that God has done, recounting all that God has done for you. To do what? Now look at it. Here's a command. 
to present, to offer. What are you offering? Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Remember this church in Rome is made up of Jews and Gentiles, but if you're a Jew, that sentence, that phrase that I said there, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, this is worship. If you're a Jew, you're thinking about the Old Testament at this point. You're recalling what a priest would do. A priest who was cleansed would come in and he would go and find an animal, a holy and blameless, set apart, first fruit animal. And he would take that animal and he wouldn't leave it living. What would he do? He would cut its throat, sorry, kill the animal and then put the animal on the mercy seat and offer it to God as a sweet aroma because of the sin of the people. You see, if you're a Jew, you're looking at this and going, man, this is a picture of the Old Testament sacrificial system that was worship. You couldn't separate sacrifice and worship in the Old Testament. You saw it in the garden. You saw it with Cain and Abel. You saw it with Abraham every time. He offered thanks to God. He would make sacrifice. You see it in the Old Testament law. So the people of God would look at this, but they would see some distinct difference. It's a living sacrifice. It's my life. It's my body that I'm offering. One of the interesting things also about the culture, especially for the Gentiles in it, they were living in very much a Greek culture. What did the Greeks think about the body? The Greeks didn't have a whole lot of um, esteem for the body. They esteemed the spirit, okay? And so they felt like the body was just a material, something material, but it didn't matter. And so it led them to all kinds of sensuality. It led them to drunkenness. It led them to all kinds of places because they didn't value the body. And so here are these Christians living in a very Greek culture where nobody values the body, where people sleep with all kinds of people, where people get drunk, where people offer themselves in all kinds of crazy ways, and they're trying to live, and Paul is saying to them, no, 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 here's what I need you, here's what I'm urging you to do, here's what I want to help you to do, here's what I want to coach you to do. You need to recall the mercies of God and how God has been merciful to you. And Christ has died in his body on a cross for you. And you need to be a living sacrifice over and over and over again. You need to offer your body as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. What does that mean? It means that we need to honor God with our bodies. You know one of the problems with a living sacrifice? It always wants to crawl off the altar, doesn't it? Always. This is a difficult task, but this is what God has called us to. You see, this is a line in the sand for Paul in this Greek culture for these believers. And you see it in other places in the book of Romans as well. You see it in chapter 6. Look what he says about the body. What should we do with our body? This is the new life that we have in Christ. Verse 13, he says this. Don't present your members to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present, there's that word again, ourselves to God, to those who've been brought 
from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. Remember the Corinthians and all their problems and all their sexual problems? Look at what what Paul says to them about sexual immorality. Or do you not know that your body, does Paul care about the body? Absolutely. And what we do with it, it matters. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. How about that message for our culture today? Your body is not your own, it's his. You were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. First Peter chapter two, verse 24, I think we have that passage as well. Here's what it says about Jesus and what Jesus did with his body. He himself bore our sins in his body on a tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. So here's your first thought, C3, this morning. In light of God's mercies, as we reflect on his love and his grace for us and his willingness to give himself up, his body up for us, give your whole self to God, even what you do with your body. Can I ask you a question? Do you have anybody urging you, as Paul is saying here, that he's urging these believers, do you have anybody urging you or coaching you or helping you with the challenges that you face, particularly maybe even with struggles with your own body, the way you think about your body, the way you use your body? Men, do you have anybody in your life that is holding you accountable to how you use your body? Do you have anybody that's keeping you accountable about what is going, you're clicking on your phone or your laptop? See, God cares about all of us, including our body. Is there accountability in your life? And maybe the question is, maybe you think about the people who are willing to do that, but my question for you, are they still around? Are those people who are willing to walk beside you and love you and care for you um, and, and walk with you with the struggles that you have? Have you kind of kicked them to the curb because you don't want to hear it? Are they still around? Are they still around? So consider that. Are you willing to hear what you need to hear to grow, to give your whole self to God? Or do you just have kind of a Greek view as well? Do you have a Greek view of your body? Or do you have a biblical view that says, no, Christ has offered his own life for us, that we might honor him even in our bodies? There weren't many people in Paul's day in Rome in the first century that were honoring Christ with their bodies. This is the point that Paul is driving at. You know, it's interesting as I think about giving my whole self to God, I think about some worship songs that we often sing and they're good worship songs and I want to sing some of the lines of these worship songs but oftentimes it's hard, it's like, I give my whole self to you and I wanna say, I want to believe that, I want to sing that, but the truth is is that I often am not there. Make me want to do that, God. Any of you there? The beauty is is that his grace is sufficient for you. This is a tall task. This is like an umbrella statement that he's making for all the things that he's gonna say moving forward. And so this lands pretty heavy. It lands pretty heavy. 
How do I give all of me to you, God? What does that look like? But I have these desires and these wants. His grace is sufficient for you. He'll walk with you. Community, you have people around you to help you. It's an aim. The destination will one day come. It's an aim that we have as believers in his grace. And so walk with him in the strength of his grace. The most interesting thing about this to me, though, is that when I look at my own life and I look at the lives of others, oftentimes what happens when I think about offering myself and giving myself wholly to God, man, I want to give myself to all kinds of other things. And what I really want from God oftentimes is what he can give me. But it's interesting how God has designed it, isn't it? I want to take what he can give me but that doesn't satisfy. But when I give myself to him, body, soul, mind, life, then it satisfies. It's amazing how God has rigged this whole thing. So in light of God's mercies, we should give our whole selves to God, even our bodies and what we do with our bodies. But what's the threat to that? Verse two, look at the beginning of verse two. Sorry, I gotta, I gotta take a drink of water. <laughs> Haven't been feeling great all week, but uh, <clears throat> try to get through the brain fog as well. Here we go. What's the threat? Look at verse 2. Verse 2 tells us the threat. Do not be conformed to this world. Don't be conformed to the world. What's the world? Is it just the physical world like out there, the globe, the spinning rock that we're on? Is that what he's talking about? No, the word that we get for for world here is age. In other places you see it in the Bible, it's the spirit of the age. A guide defined it in this way. When, when we think about the world and its system and how it thinks and how it's shaped, the world is this. this. This is the idea. We talk about culture oftentimes. Think about this definition of this world apart from the Lord. The floating mass of thoughts, opinions, Maxims, speculations, hopes, impulses, aims, aspirations at any time current in the world. Just think about that for a minute. Which it may be impossible to seize and accurately define, but which constitute a most real and effective power, being the moral or immoral atmosphere which at every moment of our lives we inhale again, inevitably, to exhale. This is the world system. This is the way that the world thinks that's set apart. First John says it's set against what God says. I want you to think about the culture that you live in right now. Moral world system honors God or honors self and self identification, self-expression, self-identity. We live in a pretty messed up world. Like we always have, we've always sought autonomy from the garden on, and yet we live in a particular culture and it's often hard to define, isn't it? What is the, what is the creed of the culture? What's the air that we breathe? That's an important question for us to 
ask and answer because we're not dissuaded by the culture. I know we think we're insulated from it, but it can creep into our thoughts. It can creep into what we believe and how we live. And what does Paul say? Don't be, what's the word? Conformed. Literally, it means don't masquerade, don't scheme, and be something that you're not. So he's talking to believers in Rome, and he's saying, hey, don't be conformed to the world around you who looks at the body in a certain way that, that's okay with sexual immorality. It's okay with all kinds of sinful things. Don't be okay with that. Don't look like that. Don't conform to that. So there's a command here not to masquerade in the world's darkness because you're a child of the light. I always remember we've been doing the Bible in a year and I'm reading through, been reading through Genesis and every time I come to, to Lot, remember the character Lot, Abraham's nephew? And you come to Lot and you can't help but see the progression of how the world just gets Lot into his claws. Remember Abraham and him are together and they have too big of, both of their herds are too big and Lot shows up and he looks and he sees the land and he sees the land that's good and so he wants that land and Abraham gives it to him. And then it's almost like a footnote. It was near Sodom. And Gomorrah, you already know Sodom and Gomorrah is a wicked place. You haven't seen what, it's, it's foreshadowing what's to come. And he pitched his tent down there. And the next time you see him, where is he at? He's in the middle of it. He's in the middle of Sodom and Gomorrah, so he pitched his tent closer. And then he got in the middle of it. And then he didn't want to leave. And then he wanted to hide when the angels came. And then the angel said, look, we're going to destroy the city. We're going to nuke the place. And he couldn't get some of his family even to come with him. And he was lazadaisical about getting out. And once he got out, and even then, when he looked <clears throat> and saw all that had happened, he still wanted to pinch his tent really close. Your second thought is this this morning. In light of God's mercies, don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. And here's the thing, this happens. It happens because it's the air we breathe. If you're not taking steps not to be squeezed into the mold, conformed to the image of the world, you will be. You will be. It, it takes an active pursuit not to be conformed to the world. So what is the mold of our culture? What's our credo, the self-definition, expression? All the identity issues, the cancel culture, the expressive individualism. I mean, it is ripe for opportunity for us to put the gospel in front of people that rightly defines who God is, who they are, and what's their relationship to the God of heaven. What a great opportunity we have, but what a challenge it is to point people to, in this way, particularly when we are canceled for who, what we believe. Do you think you're, um, do you think the things that you believe, do you think they are unaffected by the world around you? 
See, there's no neutral here. We've got, like a good marriage, we've got to pursue Christ. We've got to pursue who he is. In a good marriage, you're never in neutral. If you think we're just coasting, you're losing ground. There's only one way in which you <clears throat> fix those problems. Man, I'm, I'm going to drink some more water just for a minute. I see it on your faces. You're going, man, this guy's hurting. I need another cough drop. I think I've got one. It's interesting in the Bible, too, what you see with, with, with saints in the Bible who follow Christ for a long time, um, especially in the Old Testament. Do you know it's usually later in life? It's usually later in life when they fall into sin because they get a little bit more lazadaisical. Maybe they think that they're going to be okay. And so it's good warning for us here that we can't let the world squeeze us into its mold. But the question is, how do we fortify ourselves from that? And I think this is the key of the whole thing. Look at the second part of verse 2. Don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. See, in the light of God's mercies, we've got to fill our minds with God's transformative truth. That's an active thing. That's not a passive thing. Transform to metamorphosis. There's a metamorphosis here. There's a change this is the idea of letting the inner redeemed nature come out in daily living. To let Christ come out in you. How does this happen? It happens by renewing your mind. The very idea that we have to renew our mind means we have to do this over and over and over again. It's continuous exposure to God's mercies. It's continuous exposure to his character, to his word. The psalmist David says it this way in Psalm 119, verse 11. He says this, Thy word I have treasured in my heart. Why? Just to do it? Only to draw near to the Lord? Those are true. Those are true things. But look at it. Thy word I have treasured in my heart. Why? That I might not sin against you. You see, there is transformative truth. This is what God rots in us when we read his word and his spirit does his work in us to remind us of who he is. And there's a result of a renewed mind. It's discernment. Look at it. That you can have discernment about direction, clarity, discerning what is good from evil in this world. My goodness. Evil is called good, and good is called evil. We need God's transformative truth in our lives to remind us especially in the air that we breathe in this world to remind us, to help us remember what is truly good and what is truly evil, what honors him and what doesn't. Super important to us. Are you filling your mind with? What are you filling your mind with? Do you think as God thinks? Do you desire as God desires? Do you love as God loves? Do you see things the same way he sees things? When you're evaluating that thing on your, on your uh, news feed and you're going, I wonder what's the truth here. Do you think about God's word? Do you think about what is true according to the scriptures? Or is it just what people are saying out there is true? So what are you filling your mind with? 
What are you desensitized to? That's a tough one. What are you desensitized to? We live in an overly sexualized culture. Are you completely desensitized to it? When you watch a movie, are you completely desensitized to the raunchiness of it? And we live in a culture that is dangerous. It's a dangerous place in many ways. We need God's word. I would, I, this is one of the reasons we've been encouraging you all to be reading the word this year, the five-day reading plan. You can do it however you want to jump in with us and read the word, know the word. Let me give you a couple tips. Maybe you're going, yeah, I, I hear you, pastor. Um, I've tried to read my Bible I really just don't understand a lot of things about the Bible. And when I read a Bible in a year, there's a lot there, and I'm, I don't have all this time. I've got to read like six chapters a day, and I'm trying to make sense of it. Let me give you a few tips, just simple questions as you read God's word. What is this text saying about God? What is it saying about me? What is it saying about sin? What is it saying about this world? What are the promises that are in this passage? What are the questions that I have that I can ask somebody the answer for? Which I'm happy to walk through that with you all year. Get into God's word. It renews your mind. It transforms you. Listen to good worship music. There's some not good worship music out there. Listen to good quality worship music to remind you of the mercies of God. We have playlists on our website. I'll give you a playlist to listen to. Bo, Sheridan, Luke can help you out. Renew your mind. So what's it going to be? Is it going to be a painful road of conformity or the narrow but satisfying road of transformation? We need to continue to renew our minds to the glory of God. There's a story of a little girl little girl who was at church with her family and Sunday school hour at this church was the hour before and so she's sitting with her family and the offering plate gets passed and when the offering plate is passed, she grabs it. Instead of handing it to her mom and dad, she puts it on the floor. She puts it on the floor and then she puts both feet in the offering plate and she stands up to which her family is mortified, and the ushers are saying, why are you doing that? And she pipes up, and she says, because this morning in Sunday school, they taught me that I'm supposed to offer my whole body to the Savior. I belong in the tray. Can't argue with that. We belong in the tray. I want you to think about Areas of your life. I want you to think about, am I all in? Am I all in with my body and what I do with it, even when nobody's around or nobody's looking? Are you all in? Are you all in on what you think? God's mercies, C3. God's mercies motivate a life of surrender and praise God that he's not done with us. Verse one was all over me 
all week before I was preaching this message. Like, am I offering everything to him? Am I giving him all? His mercies motivate a life of surrender. I'm grateful for his grace that he knows I'm not there, but he walks with me anyway. That his grace is still sufficient for me and it's still sufficient for you. And so wherever you find yourself in this question, only you really know, whether it's your body or your mind or your thoughts, only you really know. But God will walk with you by his grace. And you know what? There's probably people around here, if you're struggling, that will walk with you as well. Find somebody Let them urge you on, as Paul is saying here, to present yourself as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. Let me pray.